This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to my favorite murder, the podcast that's <laughs> the you like the one you told your mom about, right. even though you didn't think she'd be open to it. And then surprise, she liked it first. She doesn't like the cursing so much. No, no moms do. But oh. then, mm. but then they listen to it a little while and they go, this reminds me of my younger days. <laughs> and then they light up at a, they light up Salem, <laughs> they light up a Salem cigarette Salem and they start 100. telling you about that. Honey, go get me the gin. I'm going to tell you about my younger days. And then they start cursing. And it's so... Have you ever heard the word fuck come from your mom's mouth? It's so trippy. Oh, nothing makes would make my dad angrier than my mom would say the F word. He would get so mad at her. (laughs) It was like as if like all of the world was melting down. I'm like, hey, come on. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite words. And now it's my favorite word to say in front of your dad, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're a new, we're a brand new territory. <laughs> Georgia cracked open the just throwing out the F's and S's all over the place. I didn't know. And Jim was down. We told the story already, right? Did we or just to each other? I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know at all. Like, literally, if, if, it, if it was life or death, I wouldn't be nope, able to tell you. Me neither. Uh, but that is Karen Kilgariff. Oh, that's Georgia Hardstark. Oh, that's right. And welcome. Yes. How are you doing? How's your... This is our podcast. This is our, our podcast. This is our podcast we've been working on. Um, <laughs> just a little short time of four and a half to almost four and a half years. five years. It is weird, though. We're getting rid of our office. The exactly right offices are are going yep. into storage because there's no one there to use them. We're not paying for that shit if no one's in there. It's so sad. All that beautiful article furniture that we picked out. That's not a plug. Uh uh, or is it? Or is it? I'm glad that we inside the offices, and there's a, a scant few who know this, that that we had um, all the shows had posters, framed posters that we were going to hang on the walls. We just kind of hadn't gotten around to it. And now we never will. For all our shows on Exactly Right. And we never did it. I feel like we're never going to have it. We wanted a party there. We can't have a going away. Goodbye to this office. Thank you for being our first office for our first business podcast no that we just have to walk oh and then i guess now we can say because we, we didn't want to say it before but the people who who had the office above us were roller coaster designers uh, it was the how cool is that it was the most interesting and and i have to say I really loved that office it was very fun to be there for the short amount of it time was. we were but that element made me believe something exciting was going to happen because yes. of that. I was like, this is some sitcom shit. I'm absolutely going to meet like a German with red curly hair. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
or yeah. like something's gonna happen and then that's definitely like they they are the sitcom office we're like their weird neighbors we're, we weren't the main yes. stars of this office program no they were the sitcom office we were uh yeah we were a, a strange youtube channel yeah and they Downstairs. had a baby corgi we didn't have a baby corgi um what's up what are you watching what are you doing what are you reading what are you thinking about oh I was going to tell you, somebody recommended this podcast to me on the heels of uh, this is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And the first person storytelling, you know, uh, extreme. Um, Somebody said on Twitter. Oh, I was admitting that I was going back to Twitter a tiny bit just to mostly I had to post that Nick Terry that he just made about the tampons. Oh, my God. uh, He's just so good. We love you so much, Nick. Thank you so much for playing participating in this um <laughs> this mfm animated thing. i put it up on our instagram to check it out or yeah, just forever and it's, i retweeted it yeah it's, it's so good uh so i so of course i went on there to just retweet that and support nick mm-hmm. but then somebody recommended a podcast that i started listening to and it's called spooked and it's on it's with um snap judgment presents and w NYC studios and the host is named Glenn Washington uh-huh. and it is first people telling their first person ghost stories or their first person like weird experience yes. stories and it kicks off so I went down to season one yeah. first episode oh you're one of those and it's, it's called the watcher yeah I want because then it plays through yeah oh okay and the first story is so goddamn good and real and you it's this woman and you're like holy shit this happened and it i want to tell you the whole thing that's yeah. i shouldn't do that I'll anymore do it. I'll do it. it's go listen to spook um the podcast hosted by glenn washington it's a real joy to listen to the music is amazing their sound editing their like sound design is great yeah. he's a really delightful host there's a couple where most of them it's just the people talking through a couple have um hosts that interview people and kind of pull the story out of them and he is the host one time when this guy is telling a story and the guy goes and i turned around and and then he paused and then glenn goes and what what was it what was it what was it (laughs) exactly how you would do it if it was your friend there's something like that that made me laugh so hard anyway it's just a delightful listen and it's re- these stories where as you listen to the people tell them, you're like, this isn't made up because they're giving all this detail. Right. It's this very specific. And you want to go on a podcast and like lie about your experience. That would just be like asking well, you, for it. Well, yeah, because you could try to. Yeah. But when you fo- unfold a story like that, yeah. it shows yeah. like you kind of can't get away with it. So every it's they have like five seasons, <sighs> I think maybe. Yeah, five seasons. It's really good. And it's it really well time made because it's like getting into spooky getting into Halloween. spooky Halloween. Time. Yeah, it's very good. There's a couple times I had to turn it off because I was like, it's getting too late Ooh, at night because it. it's that like creepy. Yeah. Are we going to be able to trick or treat this year? Did it, no. it got banned, but then they like, then, then they were like, Gavin Newsom was like, well, can't ban it. I want to sit in my driveway and throw candy at kids. Maybe that's the new Halloween. I mean, here's the thing. You can still eat mini Snickers. You can also eat full size Snickers. Oh, I've already done that. All day long. <laughs> <laughs> so wanna, what What more do you I need? I give it to cute kids dressed up in cute <laughs> costumes. <laughs> you can. I mean... Yeah, I guess it's outside. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I keep r- driving by restaurants that are just packed, oh, packed yeah. on the sidewalk with no masks. No, 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 no. It doesn't make friends, sense to me. Friends and family, please. Anyway. 
Um, this is the world we live in. Nice. Well, I've been right? trying to. I started. Uh, I may destroy you. Oh, great! So intense. So good. Michaela Cole. Cole. Michaela Cole. Sorry, you were right. So yeah, Michaela Cole. She's incredible. I'm only yes. on the first or second episode, but it's obviously incredible, and I'm it's, so into it. It's, it's it goes so far and wide in places that I mm. did not expect. She's really amazing. And I just kept thinking this is I, it's amazing that she is like the showrunner, creator, yeah. writer and star. Yeah. She, and she her face is unbelievably gorgeous. gorgeous. Uh, just gorgeous. It's on HBO if you haven't checked it out yet. But yeah, I am so trying good. now to I'm finally after having so many fucking people who are good at things tell me that I need to meditate. I'm finally trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And journaling, which I have not done in my adult life. Well, that hasn't been public. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you know what the thing about journaling that I always get and that I feel like you're like me in this way. Mm-hmm. I start writing and then I start watching myself write and criticizing what I'm doing. <laughs> So it's kind of like, I really think that this and that, and it's all cursive and sideways and stuff. And then I start reading what I'm writing and I'm like, what if someone finds That's this? That's my problem like- is I just have no, and I only live with Vince. So that just means I don't trust Vince. Like, it's just, I have no, someone's going to read this. I'm going to die. Yes. And someone's going to yes. be like, but did, I wish we had found her journal earlier because clearly, I don't know, like something you know what I mean? I know for a fact with I need you to tell me today and look in my eyes and we can put this on paperwork Okay, that you will come to my house and burn any journal that you can find. <laughs> you can go through any drawer, no but you have to get rid of it because there's shit I don't want to go down for of like old crushes that I'm like yeah. writing about that I don't want to go on 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 record. So for. No, the no, the, there's no book. I'm, I won't put a book out of Karen's un, unread <laughs> journals of Karen. Writing Panda Express, uh, Golden Chicken, oh, releasing what you ate that day. <laughs> oh, I just straight up write. I fucking hate everything. I hate myself. Why do I fucking hate myself so much? Well, it's so annoying. My mom did this to me. Like it's just so. It's just like greatest angry. hit. Same yeah. same thing every time. Right. Yeah. So double these to you. You and me will burn each other's uh, books. Burn. Listen, I'm gonna read yours, and you're gonna read mine. Fine. Yes. But then they're going to be burned. Then they must be burned. And I'm and I mean also legal pads. Okay. Anything with, with more than five pieces of paper. Yes. Please with the jokes. Okay. Things I think might be jokes. I was wrong. <laughs> please burn them. Like there's shit. I've written stuff down where like the other day. I'm not kidding. I flip through because I keep buying packets of notebooks. Yes. So then I I will open it and write something. And I have a picture of this. It says when you have a crush on somebody, you love their car. It just that's all they wrote on one page of paper. Okay. <laughs> this do you feel how uncomfortable you feel right now? Imagine if I was dead and that's you oh. had to read that. What was it all for? What we'll was she doing? What why was she why did she never get past 13 years of age? It's oh. pathetic. <laughs> None of us did. We're all still but there. It's true, right? When you like, when you know what kind of car your crush drives, yeah. when then when that car, which is mass produced and there's hundreds of them, <laughs> goes by you, it's the most exciting thing. Oh, like Have you when ever had? You see one that is it him? Is that him in the yes black Prius? The black right Prius? Is that him? That oh my god! No, that's every other fucking car on the road you live in los angeles oh, every car is a prius have a crush on someone it's so fun to be like what are they 
thinking about right now? What are they doing? <laughs> I wonder where they are. Are they thinking about me right now? Mm-hmm. I wonder. So that's not that stupid. And my mom did cause my self hatred. So I'm not fucking wrong either. <laughs> no, it's not about right or wrong. It's about stupid or not stupid. And I think I just want to be cooler than I actually am. Please let me post mortem be be like. That. And you know what else, Stephen? When one of us, the moment you hear that maybe one of us is in a coma or dead, fucking delete. Yeah. Every podcast that we've ever recorded, T- all of us, Stephen, for real. I don't want. Do I don't not want the other making any money again. Off it of all go. Podcast. Everybody, this wag the gravy train stops yeah. here. That's right. Sorry, Nora, your niece. That all your money is probably going to go to when you die. You don't get a fucking single cent more. Cut to Nora mid today. Mid TikTok dance. <laughs> Record scratch. What the fuck? That's right. No more money. That's right. There was a self-destruct timer on all this. Oh shit. <laughs> Blow all of these. That's perfect. Steven, can you make, make a self-destruct timer for our laptops? Yeah. We die, our heart stops beating. These fucking things blow up. It's over. And I want it to be one of those ones where you have to you and I both have our fingers on it the whole time. And the minute someone's finger comes off of it. It blows Ooh. up. So wait, are we killing each other at this point? I don't What's the, know. What are we talking about now? I don't know. We're killing some. Um, oh, no. Because I, <laughs> I just remembered I definitely have opened Word documents on this computer and started poems. Oh, I'm not no, kidding. Like, and, and I have documents on here because, you know, every laptop, it switches you like it goes yeah. in the cloud and then you have more. Mm-hmm. I have like shit from old jobs. I have like old stuff in here that I'm like, why isn't this gone? Why haven't Ooh. I deleted it? Oh. So you really, Stephen, this thing goes into the sea. <laughs> it's like, I don't give a shit what you do with my ashes. Throw this laptop into the ocean ASAP. Go to Point Magoo, friends. Go way out onto the jetty. Spot. Uh huh. I'll put in a right? t-shirt cannon. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Please. Yes. Done. Please. Done. Stephen, and we'll get Stephen. Let's get um. We'll get crab legs at uh, Neptune's net after. It'll be <laughs> great. Wait a second. Yeah. No. What? Oh, you want to come? You're not having fun after. <laughs> I will haunt you at Neptune's net. I will fucking stand right next to your table. You're gonna get all cold on your neck. I will not let you rest, and I'll be reading from the other side, reading my poems. My poems, I said. Poems. Everyone knows you my can't poem. write a poem in a fucking computer. You have to write it on a t- old timey type haunted typewriter. I have no business writing poems. Poems. I used to in my stand up comedy act used to read my poems from college oh, on stage, and they are fucking hilarious. They really are. I meant it, and it was all kind of broken. Like I was trying to be like E. E. Cummings, but it was always about just some guy that I liked that didn't like me back, right. and that it's. It's like, it's really clunky and really like, it's like, if this is really how you're going to express yourself, you don't deserve love. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, here's why someone comes in. Someone's like an auditor of your life. Well, your life. Here's why no one's ever going to love you. These poems suck shit. You don't know how to put you don't string of words together at all. Look what you write about it. Why do you keep using shoes as a sim at symbolism? That's so weird. Love has nothing to do with shoes. You don't get to have love until you know what it means, and it doesn't mean that he ordered the same thing as you. No, it doesn't. It's not about doing shots together, Karen. What happened to you? I don't know. Nothing happened was, to me. That's why these are so. I was raised by stand-up comedy. That's why <laughs> all our hearts were broken. And a man who hates the f word. 
<laughs> raised by stand-up comedy and a guy who hates the f word. It's a lot of conflict. Anyway, did you have a thing you were trying to talk about? Absolutely. That I interrupted not. you with that story? Uh, no, it was journaling. We covered it. Great. Oh, good, good. Okay. I'm okay. I'm meditating a little. Oh, nice. Yeah. How many minutes have you gotten? Well, I my like, friend had a had a pat like a month pass for the Waking Up app with Sam Harris. Who's like great a doctor type, so he's smart, you know, which I respect. Sure, um, you always have love doctors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a doctor. So I've oh, gotten five days into an introductory course that's like thirty days or whatever. Nice. So I and I I get it. it it's making sense. It's good. I get it. it, it it's it's good. You know what it is. I used it the other day when I was in a ner- nerve wracking situation. Uh huh. All it is is the thing of all the shit my brain starts saying. Yeah. It's like, you shouldn't be here. You look, you look terrible. Right. That you just go, no, Stop. neutral. Yep. Neutral. Or so it's go, not even like, I acknowledge you. Get out of here. Yes. Thanks for your help. I know you're trying to help me. Yeah. Please go away. Oh, and neutral. That reminds me for the first time in my fucking life, I'm going to have therapy more than once a week. Ooh. She's like, hey, since we're dealing with this old shit that's like starting to come up, how about twice a week? Yeah, like whoa, okay, it helps. I swear to God, it helps. You can't get into any. It's fifty minutes an appointment. You can't get into anything, right? Yeah, fifty. Which, if it's me, that you can clip off like at least eight at the top of every. I cannot be on time, even on oh, Zoom. Okay, my therapist <laughs> and I. She's done talking about it with me. I broke her when it came to the lateness thing. <laughs> I'm a monster. Oh my god, I'm a monster. Now, if you'd refer to this poem. <laughs> About how I'm a monster. <laughs> Every Sweat therapy session is me. <laughs> because I ran here from the parking lot. I didn't have money to pay for the parking attendant. O'clock. O'clock exclamation point lowercase letters. <laughs> Why doth thou insist upon my tardiness and the will above it? But bend to my will, Father Time. Speaking and Mother of Earth. That can we talk about? Oh, yeah, the, the Instagram uh, song I sent you yes last night by fucking Steve Zahn. Oh my god, damn it! He wrote. He put this song up. That's the funniest thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. Steve it's Zahn, so and on Instagram, <laughs> and I wrote. Great actor. This was touching. I feel touched. And he wrote, "Goal achieved." He commented <gasps> back to me. I know. <gasps> Steve Zahn achieved his go- wait. And who is the person he's singing to? I don't Do you know. know. He's singing. He's making up a belated play, birthday song. Here, play, it, play it. Play okay. it. Play it. And let's wait, get wait, into wait. a legal relationship with Steve Zahn. Oh, I, um, I missed your birthday one day late. Never stop because I'm great. Thank <laughs> you that question. <laughs> Well, let's put it up on our Instagram. I can repost it. It's just. Yeah, that's a good idea. Also, while he's singing this song, wearing readers in, I think, his his garage. It's like a barn for sure. Yeah. He's reading a book about uh, survival, survivalist shit. And he's eating what looks like chocolate cake. There's something in his mouth or he's it's chewing tobacco. Maybe, but he's. There's something, and there's also so a lone he's eating moth and singing. circling his fucking messy <laughs> hair. He looks okay. He looks like a survivalist. Yes, okay. he is a fascinating individual, and oh. I'd love to know about his nine to five for sure. Yeah. I think he's like family. how do you get how do you get out there? Yeah, I think he's Does a family he people, man. Is he? He's got like okay. We don't have to talk. This isn't the this okay. isn't the, my favorite Steve Zahn <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, if we just focus. Yeah. Let's, um, can we just all please support Steve Zahn more? Support yeah. Steve Zahn more. Speaking of supporting things, we are excited to announce, um, our next fundraiser for our MFM logo pin that we sell yes. on our, uh, site myfavoritemurder.com there's a store in that store is a little black and white enamel pin of our logo that's so fucking cool to put on your jacket or whatever and sure. uh, we always pick a fundraiser to put the give the money to 100% of the 100% proceeds? of the proceeds so now we just did beam and now we're going to go to the LGBTQ freedom fund yay yes. so they provide bail nationally for LGBTQ plus people who can't afford the, can't afford it themselves they educate the masses about the over incarceration of the LGBTQ community which i didn't realize until i went to their site that LGBTQ people are three times more likely to be jailed um, mm-hmm. and you know, they're at risk of abuse because of that. So they also can't get out because they don't have the, they can't afford the bail. So for those people, this fund is available. So we're really excited. It's a great charity. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool. It's exciting to start learning about stuff like this and, and try to divert uh, attention and support their way yeah. because it's so important. That's right. Uh, we also less important, but still compelling. <laughs> We uh, now have the This Might Be Luminol travel mug available also in the store, myfavoritemurder.com. Mm-hmm. What? Forward slash t-shirts and things? <laughs> Is that the website? I think that's a dead, I think that's a dead link. That's a dead link? Yeah, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> uh, no, it's in the store. Um, it's an old bestseller. They've been restocked. They glow in the dark. That's fucking right. It's a tumbler that says this might be luminol, and then it glows in the dark. Trick all your friends and coworkers that you're uh, social distancing around that you might be drinking mu- luminol. Yeah, it's it'll fascinate the Zoom call next time. That's right. Get in there. Yeah. And buy all of your products on the My Favorite Murder <laughs> store. We see you po- proudly posting shirts from all the fuck over the place. Yeah. And what we'd like to direct you toward is the actual official website where you oh. should get your real shit. Okay. Let's do exactly right. Ne- uh, network highlights. Yeah. Oh, I'll say the fall line, uh, the podcast, the fall line is uh, this week has just dropped their first episode of their Sam Little series, which focuses on the victim stories of fucking terrible serial killer Sam Little. So make sure to tune into that. Yes. And oh, I'm very excited because on Stephen's podcast, the Percast, he and Sarah are talking to our friend, a friend of the fam of this, um, I was going to say website of this podcast, <laughs> Auntie Donahue, Canada's uh, sweetheart, Auntie Donahue. Her book is called Nobody Cares. Um, get that if you haven't already. And she's on Stephen's podcast talking about her cat, Barry Gibbs. Stephen, did you love Anne Donahue as much as we do? Anne is the best. And I actually got to meet her before our show in Toronto. That's right. And we tried to go to Spaghetti Factory, but it was just too crazy. <laughs> Love Love it. it. So she's the best. Check out all the Exactly Right Network podcasts. There's a website. It has all of this information and more. And there's Exactly Right merch. There's merch for this podcast that we love to talk about. But there's also a bevy of merch from all the other shows. So if you're looking, if you're like, I love bananas, there's a great shirt that you can get that just says hot banana up in the corner pocket. That's right. If you like, do you need a ride? We're making puzzles. I mean, like Hell stuff's yeah. going on over Support there. Support your local podcasts, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to do, yeah, is that everything? Wait. I think that's it. Okay, cool. I, f- I feel like, you know, good. That's, 
If there's look, okay, let's give Less each time. other. You have one minute. Say one last thing, just for a minute. A minute? That's a long time. Oh, I cut off oh. all my own hair. It's too short. Oops. Oh. I cut one side. It was perfect. I cut the other yes. side. It was too short. So I had to cut the other side too <laughs> so, short too. Wait, will you take off your headphones yeah, so I yeah. can see the full cut? Look, I can't hear you, so don't say anything. Okay, I'm shaking my head. I won't. <laughs> oh, that's cute. It looks great. George has got a, Wait, a straight up Wait. Louise Brooks. Oh, oh, oh. hold on. What? Georgia's got, I was saying this, Georgia's got a straight up Louise Brooks bob now. It is a very flapper, short flapper bob. It's great. It looks really good Thank on you. you. What do you have? I thought your hair was in a ponytail. No. That's your announcement. Yeah. Um, my, I guess just that oh. my hair, I've gone lighter and shorter as well. You have brown hair now. It's such a I, trip. I took all the black out of my hair. Yeah. And then you know it. that you've had a bad hairstyle for a while when you do something like that. And then people freak out and they're like, <laughs> it looks so good. And you're like, shit, it really looked bad before. That's all I can think of. <laughs> it looks great. I love that we had hair corner. That was perfect. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> you have to know what our hair, what's going on with how's our hair in COVID. Hair? Yeah. How's, how's your, your hair in COVID? Your quarantine hair. Like... Are you letting it get real big and natural and just yeah. being it like let it be itself yeah. for once? What color does it want to be? Let it tell you for once. Yeah. You've always I was forcing right. dark brown onto my hair yeah. and it was like I need to go with an auburnish. Yeah. Kind of almost red. It was like and Karen, was like, let me live sounds my good. life. Sounds good. I'll stop wearing black t-shirts and I'll start wearing army green Love t-shirts. It. Looks good. Boom. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. 
Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens. And don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Okay, so we're going to do a quilt. And my story is from when we were in Brooklyn when was that? October 5th, 2018. So almost two years ago. Can you imagine? I can't even I c- imagine. I can literally still see the house at that show um, oh, both yeah. nights, right? Because we were in Brooklyn at least two, two nights, nights in Brooklyn, right? And then we went to Boston for three nights or to Medford. That King, that King's Theater, King's it's huge Theater. and it's gorgeous. And the audience, it's like set up to make you feel like share it's unbelievable <laughs> and i bet you can hear them still too because they were serving canned wine at the <laughs> show <laughs> yeah they absolutely sold out of so congratulations yeah the, the audience was fucked up and it was the best That's right and i was like save me a can of wine and they like ran out of <laughs> like not when i was they were like fucking impossible yeah. lady too bad lady, too bad no for you. um so my story that i did that night is one of my favorites to do when we're on the road which is to find a local amusement park or something and do a you know their, their deaths. So I was able to do Coney Island deaths for this episode. Enjoy, everyone. All right. So, you know, th- I'm taking a chance on this because this is um, a topic that, much like true crime, I've always been fascinated by and not told a lot of people about because it's weird. But when I had a desk job, I would just look over this, look this up like I would true crime stories. I did this at one other um, live show and it went over well. And I thought that this is a perfect place to do a story like this, too, because you guys have a similar thing going on. Uh, these are deaths at Coney Island. Oh, no! Oh, shit! Okay, good. Because I did, in Anaheim, I did Disneyland. Dumb. And that went over gangbusters. That's good, right? Yeah, gangbusters. All right, so uh, th- this is, I'm, I, okay, here we go. It's, um, it's deaths and like maimings and shit and the fun stuff. The fun stuff. The good stuff. You know. Sure. With a little bit of history thrown in for fun. And there's some good photos too. So, hey Karen. Yes. According to the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, um, there, for an average of 4.5 Americans died every year on amusement park rides from 1987 to 2000. 4.5. Uh-huh. Between 94 and 2004, 22 Americans lost their lives on roller coasters Fuck. as a result of mechanical failure or operator errors. So this means you're more likely to die on a roller coaster, Karen, than you are to be eaten alive by a shark. Say that again? You're more likely to die on a roller coaster than you are to be killed by a shark. And those are my only two choices? <laughs> Stay out of the water. Stay out of fucking roller coasters. 
Uh, all right, Coney Island, y'all, you all know it. Uh, during the 1870s and 1880s, a bunch of luxury hotels were built there, and a railroad was went in for rich people to go hang out there and shit. <laughs> um, Coney Island was described has been described as both heaven at the end of a subway ride and the poor man's paradise. So. <laughs> Those are your only two choices. I have a, a couple friends who have told me stories about passing out on the subway and ending up at Coney Island. Really? Yeah. At the end of a fun night. Cool. I think it's, yeah, a long-held tradition. And um, you just get a job at the roller coaster and you're set. <laughs> there are worse places to end up at the end of a night of a drinking, right? Sure. Yeah, than absolutely. Coney Island? Fucking outside McNair's. <laughs> yes. Okay, Coney Island became famous for having um, several of the best-known amusement parks in the world. So I didn't know this, and you might not either. There's like it's like a couple, it was a couple different amusement parks, okay. kind of competing against each other, and then the boardwalk with a bunch of other fucking things to get on and get hurt on. <laughs> um, and, but it had the world's first roller coaster, the Switchback Railway. Um, so let's start with the Steeplechase Park in 19 in <laughs> the equestrians in the back. <laughs> Is that a thing? What's a steeplechase? Well, I'm about to find out, right? No, you're not. I'm just fucking said the name. <laughs> well, from what I understand, the, te- the steeplechase is like an insane horse race. Oh, okay, because I have a photo of it. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know that, didn't look it up, didn't bother to care. Uh, which is basically the motto of this podcast. That's right. <laughs> like Mr. Edward Steeplechase, you know, but I don't know horses. In 1897, Steeplechase Park opened as the first of the three original iconic parks built on Coney Island. Um, And so right off the fucking bat, several people are seriously hurt when they stood up on the whip, which was one of the rides. Uh, It's the one where, um, okay, oh wait, I have a photo of it. So the whip, they they stand up on the ride. Guys, fucking rule number one, don't stand up when you're not fucking supposed to. Okay, this is the whip. Whoa. It's that kind that it goes around in a circle as a, and then you yes, vomit. This is good. Doesn't look, look fun, does that it? That fucking shit in the middle is wood. That's wood. It's all wood. Oh, no. It's made out of the same thing that, like, dentures were made out of back then. <laughs> Absolutely not. Underneath that circle, there's just two old mules that are so mad. They're so tired. Or two eight-year-old children just fucking... <laughs> Mom said I had to get a job this summer. That's right. Okay, others are injured during the fall. Falls in the parks, rotating barrels, which is just when I just don't know why they trust people not to be stupid. It's the one where like it's just a huge barrel and it rotates and you run through it and fucking slam your stupid face into the you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Classic. They're injured there, and then a few patrons fall off the steeplechase horses because they fucking stand up on them, and that's those. (laughs) I would never get this. And then look at the woman. That's the steeple. Look (laughs) at there's a woman right there. That's them building the Brooklyn Bridge. What are you talking about? even makes sense. People would pay to get on this thing. Look at that woman sitting in front of a dude. They went on together with all her dresses and shit. (laughs) What? What year is this? Okay, well, it was built in 1897, so I don't know. Around there. Okay, and on... This looks like manual labor. How is this a fucking... (laughs) 
On August 6, 1935, 10-year-olds... <laughs> oh, they're, they're saddles. So it's like you're, you're pretending to ride a, a metal horse yeah. directly up? Up the thing, uh-huh. And the tracks are right there. Get everything caught in them. Okay. I mean... Okay. Um... In 1935, a 10-year-old named John Bark fell off his horse um, and plunged 10 feet to the wooden platform below, suffering brain injuries and died. Yeah. Oh, I, this, is a, this is a bummer podcast, I forgot to tell you. It's not <laughs> all fun. Um, and then nine years later, in 1944, a girl fell out of a car on the, mo- on the fast-moving Silver Streak, and she was hospitalized. She's okay. Oh, good. She, well, it was 1944, so she's probably dead, but... <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> you can't be responsible for saying how every single person that went to Coney Island I died. I just can't. No, that's too much. Okay, so then this other park opened called Luna Park in 1903. And the Thunderbolt uh, is built the in 1925. <laughs> They've been on it. It's literally a Thunderbolt with a saddle on it. <laughs> They harness the power, and then you stand up while you're on it. Uh, it was one of the first wooden roller coasters. One of the tracks scales the top of a building, and it was it featured in Annie Hall. You've seen it as as the boyhood home of uh, Alvy Singer. Oh yes. Here's a picture of it. That's right. Oh wait, that's not it. Oh wait, that's actually Luna Park when it burnt the fuck down. Oh, that's a dangerous ride. That's right. Um. Yeah, I'll tell you all about that in a minute. Okay. What about the other one? So, okay, there's no picture. I took oh. the word picture. Wait, I left the word picture in. Or Steven sucked Steven! up. He's at home giggling and twisting his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I hate them both. <laughs> and Mimi's like, me too. <laughs> So the Thunderbolt had two serious accidents. It was this roller coaster. Uh, it, in uh, 1925, a woman was killed when she was... Fucking listen to this. She was thrown forward and hit her head on the metal handlebar in front of her. 25, you say? 1925. Okay. Bummer. Yes. Um, and then in 1926, a three-car train stalled partway up the hill. It rolled back down... And was struck by the fucking train coming back up That's at right. it. That's right, it was. Twelve people were injured and one was seriously hurt. Ooh. Then the Mile Sky Chaser slash Octopus, which is just an octopus with like all these, you know, <laughs> and it spins around. Right, right. In 1937, a 37 year old Jersey resident fell after a sudden lurch from the Mile Sky Chaser as the car he was in reached one of the high points. This is a different thing, a roller coaster. He died immediately, sudden lurch. Two hours later, two girls were on another ride, the octopus, when the apparatus went out of order and the car fell about eight feet. They were treated for their injuries at Coney Island Hospital. They have their own hospital. Oh, I and bet they did very well for themselves at Coney Island Hospital. <laughs> yeah. There, there was you some just sign a waiver genius. when you go in. Be like, it's not your fault. 
they were like, somebody really smart had showed up at Coney, Coney Island the first day. It was like, you know what I'm going to build right over there? <laughs> They're going to need it. <laughs> a hospital. Um, but those, the, the gals survived. So the destruction of the first Luna Park. So Luna Park um, was heavily damaged by a pair of fires in 1994, leading to its closure. That's the picture of it. Got it. Um, and uh, let's see. <laughs> that was back when every single goddamn thing was made of wood. There's no rubble yeah. in there at all. Um, so th- that got bulldozed, and then it's rezoned for residential development during the 1950s. So then in 19, okay, in 1904, the other, one of the other places, Dreamland, opened. Um, it doesn't exist. No. <laughs> It's, uh, it takes its inspiration from the white city of the Chicago World's Fair. Yes. You know that one. Wonderful place. And um, there's all these rides like Shoot the Shoots, which is the one where you go down in the slide, I think. There's bathhouses. There's a ballroom. Um, Sexy. And, mm-hmm. There's a, a much-loved animal show featuring a pipe-smoking elephant. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Just a really stuck-up elephant that is always talking to you about British literature and shit. <laughs> Shut up. It's trained by a guy named Captain Jack uh, Bonavita. He loses an arm during an ill-fated performance Uh-oh. with his rare black lions. Because the black lions were like, fuck this guy. Yeah. And everyone in the audience is like, this is good. <laughs> this is better than that fire. Well... Guess what? Dreamland is destroyed in September of 1911 by an electrical fire during repairs. It, it originated from a ride called Hellgate, which... Took, yes. It took tourists on a boat through the dark caverns and past raging whirlpools. It was like, this is what hell is like. Yes. But it's, 2000, it's 1911, so it's charming. That's right. This might be a picture of something else. Let's see. Nope. Yep. See, that's Thunderbolt. Remember us talking about that? Yes, I do. I remember the revolt. And then then that's Hellgate. Shit. (laughs) And right outside, you can just have a nice lunch on a table. A luncheon. But then it's straight to hell, everybody. (laughs) Is that the devil up there? Yeah. Son of a bitch. Isn't he cute? Okay, as the park went up in flames, uh, live animals tried to escape. And, uh, Did they escape? No. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't care about animals back then. They gave them pipes to smoke. Like, <laughs> okay, then there's Bowery Street. A bunch of private owners uh, leased space on Bowery Streets to just throw up any old fucking ride that they felt like throwing up there. So the Tornado is a roller coaster with a wooden track. Tornado? (laughs) Hold on. If I tell you it's spelled wrong, will you believe me? Listen, these people are cresting on wine in a can right now. They're like... It's the three, we've hit the three can peak because that was an insane reaction to a mispronunciation. That was, that was so much. An insane m- mispronunciation. Was, so was it that. It was the tornado. Tornado. You're from Spain, right? <laughs> She's Spanish. 
Someone give me a fucking can of wine. Okay. Um, bu- 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 <laughs> da- 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 da. Okay, so in May of 1937, a 17-year-old boy is on the tornado. <laughs> Thank you. Loses his balance, falls onto the track, crushed to death. Yeah. Okay, then this, uh, there was this uh, deadly roller coaster called uh, Drop the Dip, but they changed the name. I know it's great, right? They changed the name to the Rough Riders because everyone loves... Not better. No. <laughs> From Drop That Dick to the Rough Riders? <laughs> the 20s were crazy, you guys. So, uh, in June of 1910, three people die after falling out of their seats on the Rough Riders. <laughs> when will they invent seatbelts, for fuck's sake? It's a third rail electric roller coaster. Um, <laughs> Very safe. The rides, okay, here's how this fucking roller coaster works. The rides operate, so they, they go up the ascent, then, um, then the, the rides operator is supposed to turn all the power off of the fucking ride. So then it goes down. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, but the, 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 either it broke or the operator was like probably drunk as shit and it didn't happen. Um, and so the car would go too fast and overturn. So three people died when that happened. Then in 1915, one of the coaster's cars just fucking flew off, flipped and then sent three people plummeting to their death. And then afterwards, they were like, let's shut this ride down yeah. from here on out. No, let's give it four more chances. Yeah. Let's name it three more horrible things <laughs> and then see what happens. I'm not convinced. <laughs> and then uh, comes Astroland uh, and the ride Hellhole. Not Hell's Gate? Not Hell's Gate. Okay. A totally different hell. A, a different hell. Yeah. In 1995, a 24-year-old woman's legs were mangled, and 13 other people were injured on the hellhole ride. It's basically... Oh, okay. It's one of those ones that are... Remember the cylinder that you run through? Turn that on its head, and it spins around, and you get pinned to the wall. Oh, yes. That one? Yes, that's a classic. Fuck no. So... You do that, and then the bottom drops out. Yes. And you stick to the wall. And you stick to the wall. So the accident happened when one of the, uh, a steel band that encircled the ride snapped, ripping open the barrel. What? I thought it was going to be a different, like, they just lost the nope. gravity issue, and everyone just... The thing just snapped, and the woman's legs were mangled. 13 people were injured. Uh, it's, yes. And then, uh, oh, the, the, what happened was that, that ha- the, the thing snapped, and then the ride operator hit the emergency stop. So <laughs> then everything fell apart. Lose-lose. Right. Then the next ride we're going to talk about is a Super Himalaya. Did I say that right? Him- Himalaya! Is that the one that goes around on its own little, it goes like this, but it's like... On an up, yes. up and down track. Yes. yes. How'd you know that? Because I fucking used to live at the fair every summer. That's okay. in 4-H. You have to go show your sheep, and you live at the fair. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm from a farm. <laughs> Hi. 
Okay, so in 1989, the Super Himalaya injured seven riders when a metal bar... Okay, so basically the fucking uh, roof collapsed. Oh. A metal bar holding the canopy over the ride came loose and hit the ride as it spun around. Um, and it would close briefly, but nobody died. Oh, that's good. In that one. Because that would turn into like a grinder situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think let's. Oh, let's see a picture. Okay, here's the tornado. 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 Here's a cyclone. Not yet. What? <laughs> we'll get there. Let him look. Oh, you, we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay, and then this one's sad. In 1999, a 17-year-old named Nadine Caban was killed when and eight others were injured. The, when the Super Himalaya, uh, like the the coupling between the two cars broke, and the car flipped to one side, throwing poor sweet baby angel Nadine out. Um, they freed her, and she died an hour later from internal I- injuries Horrifying. and severe head injuries. It's so fucking sad. Um, and then on the boardwalk in 1946, a woman was killed. Another rider was seriously injured riding a carousel. What? I, all it said is the ride started up abruptly as they tried to get off in 1946. So they probably had, like, heels on, and like, something must have... They couldn't... <laughs> And they got something happened. <laughs> they died of like pinched fingers. It's just horses going like this. Some of them don't move at all. Do you ever get a bad horse and you're just like, great? But maybe they were like stepping off of it. And then, I don't know. And then. And you do a fun kick? <laughs> okay, so. Then the cyclone is built in 1927. You guys Finally. love the cyclone. Everybody loves the cyclone. It's, and it's been linked to several rider deaths. Okay. So, there you go. On May 26, 1985, a, a, 19, nope, a 29-year-old man was killed while riding the cyclone because he stood up and struck his head on a crossbeam. Wow. Um, and then in August of 1988, a 26-year-old maintenance worker... Okay, so this 26-year-old maintenance worker is on his fucking lunch break. He gets into the back seat of the cyclone. I don't know if he was, like, eating his sandwich or he just wanted to hang out or what. Um, but witnesses reporting that upon its first descent, witnesses see him stand up. The guy that worked there? Yeah. He falls 30 feet and lands on a crossbeam of a lower section of the track. And he was killed instantly. I know. And the ride was briefly closed, but quickly deemed safe to reopen. In, 19, in 2007, a 53-year-old tourist in New York to celebrate his birthday. So he went on the cyclone. They, he suffered, uh, they say he suffered um, several crushed vertebrae in his neck while on it. But then he didn't die till four days later after complications from the surgery. But no one was ever alerted about it. And a report of the accident was never filed with the police or the city. So they were like, not our fault. It, he died later. It's not our fault. That kind of so thing. So just from riding this roller coaster, his vertebrae were uh-huh. crushed. Just from being mm-hmm. on it. Uh-huh. Okay. No one here ever went on it again. Six other um, incidents of injury from the cyclone were reported in 2007, and they were all quickly settled by the park's owners. 
Uh, and in 2015, the ride's former operator was forced to pay a woman $600,000 for serious, severe, and permanent injuries to her head and neck just from riding it. Whoa. <laughs> what, the operator himself had to pay I it? guess the person who owns it, yeah, oh, okay. I think it's like the operator. I mean, the fucking poor guy. No. Just like, <laughs> I just have the shirt on. I don't yeah, control yeah. the way it kills people. <laughs> And so in its 120-year history, there have been about 17 deaths and over 30 accidents and injuries in the various parks and attractions of Coney Island's uh, boardwalk and amusement parks. And that is deaths at Coney Island. Whoa. Wow. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Oh, Coney Island deaths, everyone. Really good job, Georgia. Really good job. Thank you.
What do you got for us, Karen? Um, uh, in this quilt episode, we're going to be lacing in and sewing, uh, whip stitching and tightly affixing <laughs> my story from October 18th, 2017. What? We're going back, baby. This So this was the first time we ever played Minneapolis. Oh. I believe, right? Because like 2017? Yeah. yeah. That would have been our first visit, I think, to Minneapolis. Uh-huh. So, so exciting. Uh-huh. And if it was October, it was probably a bit chilly. And anyway, that night I did the story of serial killer and the murderer of Johnny Versace, Andrew Kananen. And that was uh, a great, you did great as you guys will hear in a second. Well, we'll see. You be, you judge. Hey, audience, I know this is weird for you, but you judge and see if you like what is about to happen. See, just, just see. Well, um, my murder spree, um, doesn't start here, but the story starts somewhere else. The murder spree starts here. It is the murderous rampage of Andrew Cunanan. I thought I knew this story, um, but there's a lot. There's a lot going on. So, Andrew Cunanan was born on August 31st, 1969. he was the youngest of four children, and they were. He was born in National City, California, um, and which is kind of a not very nice um, place, uh, not very nice city. His father was retired from the Navy and was working to become a stockbroker. His mother was a housemaker, a homemaker, and she was very religious. She went to church every single day, Ugh. and his friends describe. <laughs> That's a lot. Sunday's fine. That's what God asked for. You are overdoing it if you do it every day. That's on you now. I try to take a nap every other day. Which is, can be a religious experience. True. So, uh... He, it was a very stifling home life. And apparently someone said it was very quiet, which I was like, four kids and it's a quiet household. That's not good. Uh Uh-uh. Um... When he was nine, his family moved to a a nicer city, Bonita. Um, It was upper middle class. And um, that's when his father became a stockbroker and started making a lot of money. And his father was all about material things. And this was a time in the early 80s where, uh, for those of us who remember, everything started to become about material things. It was that weird, greed is good, eyes odd shirts, boat shoes. Everyone pretended like they yachted, which was the weirdest (laughs) sale. All this, yeah, we're all into sailing. No, you're not. Um, <laughs> and then as a teenager, they moved to Rancho Bernardo, which is outside of La Jolla, which is like super ritzy um, area down near San Diego. And he went to a very exclusive private school called the Bishop School. Um, one of the friends who was in this interview, oh, sorry, I got most of this inter- information from one of those sweet-ass biography channel specials that just gives you every yeah. bit of information you possibly could want. Well, anyway, I got most of it from that, and then another one from a, Van- a Vanity Fair article called The Killer's Trail, which uh, I have the author's name further in. So, basically... The dad's all about, like, we're rich now. And he, they go to rich schools. And Andrew is really, really intelligent. They said that his he had genius-level IQ. When he, By the time he graduated from high school, he spoke multiple languages. He was an avid reader. He had a photographic memory. So he was a very high-functioning, uh, intelligent person. Um, but as a friend was saying, one of the most status-conscious people I ever met, he always wanted you to think he had more than he did. Mm-hmm. And he was also openly gay, which at this time... 
in the like mid to late 80s was not common. So uh, he was voted in his high, when he graduated from high school, he was voted most likely to be remembered. Oh, uh, that's a thing? Uh-huh. I, they're like... They, like, stopped doing it after that. Yeah, they They sure the fuck did. Let's specifically say what he should be remembered. Let's get specific now. That's, like... Instead of just being, remembered. (laughs) Most likely to be remembered is, like, what you vote for the people who aren't going to win anything else and who have that look in their eye. They're like, yeah, he'll do... He'll definitely do something. He's like a runner-up. It's like a runner-up award. You run her up with, like, a a knife hidden up his sleeve. (laughs) But this I love, and I think this kind of sums him up, his senior quote, which they showed it in the yearbook. So in this yearbook that they had, like the senior's picture would be here. And then there was like an empty space that that was the size of the picture where they put all of their, uh, the clubs that they belonged to and the sports that they played and all the different things just like listed. And his, all it had next to his picture was this quote from the court of Louis XV. Oh my God. (laughs) Après ma... Le Deluge, which translates to After Me, The Storm. <gasps> That's what I had, too. Oh, was that yours, too? Mm-hmm. My God. You're so much like Andrew Cunanan. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, okay. So he graduates in 1987. He ro- enrolls in UC San Diego. He's a history major. Um, while he's there, the next year he's there, there's a warrant out for his father's arrest. Turns out his dad was embezzling a shit ton of money uh, from his job, over $100,000, and the dad bails and goes back to the Philippines, uh, where he's from, and abandons the family. So uh, then they have nothing, and he drops out of uh, UC San San Diego, and his mother eventually has to start using food stamps. They're so poor. So they go from... You, you know, boat shoes to just like nothing. And for someone like Andrew, who's his, yeah. that was his whole status was his whole, uh, ego. Um, it was incre- an incredibly, you know, a defining moment yeah. in his life. He went, he actually went back to the Philippines to visit his father and they said, um, while he was there, he saw the apartment in the area that his father lived in. He was so disgusted by how, like, poor it was that he came he left and came back early and he was like I'm like that's that part of my life is over wow and he was going to recreate himself um so he starts um he starts partying a lot in Hillcrest which is the gay neighborhood in San Diego and um everybody loved him they said he was the cruise director of of the neighborhood he always had drugs he always <laughs> I was like oh uh, that sounds so fun oh yeah just drugs drugs, yeah, drugs. <laughs> that's what the cruise directors have too if you take a carnival cruise <laughs> <laughs> hey you're, you just go up and say hey are we gonna hit any icebergs anytime <laughs> Let's get past the bag of... I heard they had skiing on this yeah. boat. Can you imagine doing, like, coke on a cruise? Oh. You're just like, ugh, just stuck. Running in a circle just around like, the same 40 yards over uh, and over. You just take the fucking... Oh, back to the casino! <laughs> just freak smoking, chain smoking in uh, your cabin. Uh, okay. Um, but he had tons of friends and he was very popular, but all of his friends knew that he was just a liar. So 
when he was in this part of his life, he started telling people his name was Andrew De Silva, and that's how almost everyone knew him. And um, he would tell people that he would complain that his mother was not a good mother because she was so obsessed with high society that she shunned him. Like these oh, weird lies of yeah. like, we were so rich, my parents wouldn't pay attention to me. And everyone's like, okay. Um, <laughs> that's not a thing that anyone's ever complained about. That's a weird made up lie. Um, <laughs> Uh, and eventually he, st- he became a gigolo, but like a, a very, sp- his friends describe it as he started studying all of the millionaires who were gay and didn't have families and he would learn everything about them. And then when he would get, he got into those like kind of high society gay circles and he would go to these parties. And so if he knew one millionaire like grew orchids Mm -hmm. he would go read all the books he could find on orchids and then he would happen to run into that person at a party carrying eight orchids (laughs) I just brought my orchid friends with me to the party (laughs) but yeah that's what he basically everything was this study and he would manipulate people into falling in love with him as basically mirroring them and being like I am just like you I am also an old rich millionaire closeted millionaire well isn't that what we all do to make someone fall in love with us we're just like I'm this way I'm this certain way and then you're like no I'm not (laughs) (laughs) Vince except for me except for me baby love you too late too late I already got that ring (laughs) my 350 person wedding already happened they can't take it away from you okay Oh, here, her, the writer for Vanity Fair's name was Maureen Orth, and she, um, in that article, wrote this, which I thought was an amazing paragraph, quote, uh, he was a voracious reader with a reported genius level IQ. He coveted the lifestyles of the rich and famous. He tracked possible sugar daddies with care and then would say with a pout that he didn't know whether to fly to New York or Paris for dinner. <laughs> he <too>. could, <laughs> Right? That's the problem most of us have. Yeah. He could describe the texture and delicacy of the blowfish he claimed to have eaten at an $850 Japanese lunch, or he would say of a work of art, what year it had been painted, who had owned it through the centuries, what churches it had hung in. What a boring conversation. (laughs) Stop talking about the mouthfeel of blowfish, dude. (laughs) Oh, you don't like that? Well, then let me start to lecture you on paintings. My God, tell me your hometown murder and shut the fuck (laughs) up. And get away from me. I think that's the weird, sad thing about people who do that kind of big presentation of here's what I'm like. When they, when you know that a person is presenting you a thing because they think it's what you want, mm-hmm. it not only isn't enjoyable, but then it's also sad. Because yeah. then you have to stand there being like, oh no, <laughs> I'm supposed to like this. As opposed to like, if he walked up and was like, oh my God, we had it all. And then my, my dad ran away to the Philippines and now I have nothing. You'd be like, oh Whoa, my God. Tell me everything. Sit down. Yeah. We have to go over this word for word. Yeah. It's so much better. When you're a mess, people like you more. It's so much better. See? Because <laughs> we're all a mess. We are all a mess. We're all a mess. We just show it. We wear it in our ripped dresses. <laughs> How many people are sitting in ripped dresses tonight who are crying with joy because they have, they're like, I rip mine too. I got, we got one. You and me, girl. Yeah. yeah. Besties. She's ripping her dress. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, 
Oh, the end of that quote is, his wit was biting, his memory photographic, Cunanan's story is a singular study in promise crushed. So obviously oh. this guy was genius and he could have kind of done anything yeah. he wanted, but he just decided he was going to have to like steal and manipulate to get what he wanted. Yeah. To hustler. get back to La Jolla. going to be a hustler. Also, I just, I, growing up in Sonoma County, which is like, Marin County is the county above San Francisco where all of the rich people live. And then you cross into the next county, which is Sonoma County, and all of a sudden it smells like cow shit. And you're like, what <laughs> happened? We also know there's one rich girl sitting up here because <laughs> she, when she said Marin, she goes, whoo, and then Karen goes, all the rich people. So everyone... She's rich. I'm sorry. She might just like money. I just made her a target. She's like, you're right. She's going to be beaten mercilessly after this show. (laughs) But it's just, it's, anyway. The pressure when you live near those people or among those people to kind of like be of those people. Like in high school, our volleyball team once played a private school in Marin called Catherine Branson, which we had never heard of. And we lived 15 minutes away. That's how like exclusive and private this school was. Oh, you hadn't even heard of the school? I had never heard of the school. Okay. I'd lived there all my life. Yeah. And I was like, what school? It's not for you, yeah. honey. No, n- in the least. <laughs> we drove in and it was like, it looked like a mansion mm-hmm. where we're like, people go to school at this house. <laughs> Like a long driveway with these gorgeous, like, rolling hills. It was insane. And we all were looking at each other, and I'm like, you have hay, you have hay in your hair. That <laughs> shit on your face. Get it? Tie your shoes. Like, everyone just got so self-conscious of, like, oh, we're from a farm. We have long hair. <laughs> he had one very close friend named Jeffrey Trail, who he referred to as his brother. And Jeffrey had uh, graduated from the Naval Academy at Annapolis. And he was training to be a highway patrol officer. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We have to assume. Um, Well, some guy wooed, and so I assume that... Right. Yeah. With you. Totally with you. Um, (laughs) Let me explain. (laughs) What just happened? I don't know. I don't know. Pretend it didn't. Steven, cut that out! Steven! Cut that out. Cut out my ramblings. Um... Okay, so one weekend he goes up to San Francisco for a a fun, crazy weekend. He meets a guy named David Matson, who is from Minneapolis. David Matson was a successful architect uh, by all reports. Um, He was incredibly uh, well-liked and very well-respected in town, and he had a really successful life. And he he kind of had the life that Andrew wanted. And Andrew, all uh, Andrew's friends in this special say that David was the love of his life. Mm. Um, This is... And another interesting factoid that I, in, that's in this Vanity Fair article, because you know when this story happened, well, okay, we'll come back to this part. Um, this part, it's just one of those things where like we, you hear these stories over and over again, and then when someone, a really talented journalist, does a deep dive, and then they're like, maybe this might have something to do with it. And you're like, why didn't they talk about that? <laughs> so there's lots of those in here. Um, okay, but now by the fall of 1996, Andrew's relationships are beginning to dissolve because he's uh, totally on drugs and kind of a very bad liar. So he's got a lot of issues. Um, also, his boyfriend, David Madsen, who, who it was a long-distance relationship from what I understand, um, he would ask him, like, how do you have all this money all the time? Or how, do you, how, why, how are you doing all this stuff all the time? He just wouldn't answer. And he also wouldn't give him his address or his phone number. So there were problems in the relationship. <laughs> You're not dating if you don't have their phone number. I mean, is it like you're just like, wait at the diner for me, I'll arrive. Uh. At an undisclosed time. 
David was starting to get the feeling that Andrew had a very dark side that obviously he wasn't telling him about and couldn't share with him, and so he broke up with him. And this, this very sad note, Andrew kept a picture of David on his refrigerator until the end. So obviously that he meant a lot to him, but kind of couldn't do it. Mm. And, he was, and he was going into this bad place. So, so then his old friend, Jeff Trail, the guy that he referred to as a brother, got a job and, uh, and also moved to Minneapolis. And so when Andrew finds out that that's happening, he gives him um, David Matson's information and says, you can call this guy, you'll be best friends. Um, that's, I'm embellishing. <laughs> that's what I would say. Perhaps he didn't say that. <laughs> You'll be best friends. You guys are going to be total besties. It's going to be hilarious. That's verbatim. Yep. That's from Maureen North, Vanity Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, uh, the one person he hadn't lost in the 1996 uh, peel off of all friends and, and good people in his life was his current sugar daddy, a man named Norman Blatchford who put him up in a million-dollar home and paid him $2,500 a month. Whoa. Just to be friends. That's what we have with Steven. (laughs) If any of you feel bad at him when we yell at him. (laughs) Except for the house. That's our deal with Steven. Except for the house and the money. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Andrew actually got Blatchford to sell his house in Scottsdale, moved into the La Jolla house that was once owned by a man named Lincoln Aston, who was a wealthy older friend of Cunandan's, who in 1995 had been bludgeoned to death with a stone obelisk. So he gets his, Andrew gets his sugar daddy to, to move into the house of his dead ex-sugar daddy. Um, oh my God. A, a quote, mentally troubled loner whom Aston had picked up was convicted uh, of the crime. I would just, I would file that away. <laughs> oh, that's not the end? It's that? not the end. But it turns out that Norma Blatchford was a member of a group called Gamma Mu, which was an extremely private fraternity of about 700 very rich, mm. mostly Republican, often closeted gay men who twice a year sponsor posh fly-ins to cities around the world. I didn't understand a word of that. Why not? It's the most amazing <laughs> statement of all time. <laughs> Maureen Orth of Vanity Fair busts open this, like, it's like a gay closeted fraternity. And I'm like, what? How did this not make it to the papers? <laughs> they named themselves like a fraternity. What was it called? Mo- Gamma Moo. Oh. Huh. So they basically, <laughs> they're so rich that they just meet at different cities around the world. So then... Andrew actually becomes a member of Gamma Mu for a little while, and he makes all these contacts within that group. So he's basically working within these incredibly power, powerful and rich um, kind of secretly gay men. Somewhere, somewhere. Um, which is another very interesting fact of how connected this guy was. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't just some guy that snapped. This paper is so thick, I thought I was holding two pieces of paper I'm telling for like you. 30 seconds. This is why I interrupted myself. It's inc- We could make so many crafts out yeah. of this. Yeah. Snowflake. Ugh. Just, a, just a big, long paper chain with murders on the inside. Okay. Let's really focus, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this podcast is called. Okay. So... In the drugs and in, uh, also Andrew was really obsessed with very violent 
uh, gay porn, and he started getting into S and M. So, the, and a lot of his friends think it was the, this the drug element of his life was taking over, yeah. and he was having to do things more and more, and got more and more desperate um, because of the things that he had to do. Uh, and he also was into he, there was like he would brag about uh, ha- owning a warehouse that was full of things that fell off a truck, and he would invite his friends. You should come. There's VCRs and there's TVs what? and there's stuff, and everyone's like, no, thank you. <laughs> Just like trying to walk away. Um, <laughs> Wait, no, the, the walk away song is um, the the song. This right. is no. Right. You walk away in slow motion. Ordinary love. I don't want to. I don't want your stolen goods. No ordinary love. So call back. That's called a call back. <laughs> no, I'm a fucking asshole. He's, Sorry. He's also complaining that his sugar daddy is being cheap <laughs> with him. Flying him first class to these secret affairs and putting him up in a million dollar home and paying him uh, thousands of dollars a month for, you know, light sex, we would imagine. Um, <laughs> so basically, the sugar daddy is like, see you later. I can do this anywhere with anyone, um, which he couldn't believe. He was totally shocked that someone would break up with him. Mm-hmm. He then, um, his demeanor starts to change. And there's a kind of a sad story of this girl who, in the, throughout the whole biography thing, is kind of defending him, saying he was so sweet and jovial in the life of the party. She tells the story of seeing him in this phase, and it was the last time she saw him alive. And she saw him and was like, Andrew. And he just was basically like, oh, hey, and hugged her and walked away. So he was like, they think he might have been into heroin. He was doing all the drugs he was dealing, they thought. Um, he was gaining weight. He, he just, he was changing. So in April of 1997, Jeffrey Trail, who's here in Minneapolis, tells a friend he had this huge falling out with Andrew and quote, I've got to get out of here. They're going to kill me. Mm. Um, he was appar- apparently Andrew asked him to work security in his import export business uh-huh. and which basically was be a drug runner for me. And Jeffrey was like, it told him to fuck off. It, is the quote. Um, that wasn't, that's not me. <laughs> Amazingly, that's not me. Oh, really? Saying the F word. Yeah, he told him to fuck off. Wow. But then he uh, got scared because he was like, Andrew, I, you know, the oh. ideas that he started threatening him. Police theorized that Jeffrey Trail may have warned David Matson, stay away from Andrew, something bad has happened. Right. So Andrew tells his friends he's going to move to San Francisco. They have a big dinner at the night that he's supposed to leave. And all of his friends at the dinner start t- saying, oh, who knows Andrew better? Oh, I know him. I've known him this long. I've known him this long. I've known him this long. It's just kind of a fun party table talk. And then it goes quiet. And Andrew says, um, none of you know me and none of you know the truth. <gasps> anyway, see you later. I'll call you. <laughs> but you can't call me because I didn't give you my phone number. Um, <laughs> So the next day he leaves for Minneapolis. Now, David Manson, his plan was to stay with David Manson. David Manson's friends were all like, why are you letting that guy stay with you? Um, so the night he got there, they, he, and David Manson was the kind of person he was like always lo- trying to help people. He was like a supporter of the underdog. He was a good guy. And so they, he, David took Andrew to, um, dinner where all his work friends were the night he got here. And this woman tells a story where she was like, he was just really aggressive and really weird. And at one, he was um, giving David a bunch of shit about his shirt and like insulting that it wasn't like designer, one of those things. And then she said something and he goes, well, you're quite the bitch, aren't you? (gasps) To a woman he'd never met. Fuck. So two nights later, Andrew invites Jeffrey Trail over to David Matson's apartment. And that night, Matson's neighbors, uh, 
uh, told police that they heard yelling and thumping, and at one point they heard someone yell, get the fuck out. Um, So Andrew and David Madsen were seen walking David's dog the next day, but then um, uh, when David Madsen didn't show up for work for two days after that, um, his friends began to worry. So they went over to his apartment, knocked on the door, and they could hear whispering inside, but nobody came to the door, and they were really worried, so they ended up calling police. And police um, get there, and they break in the door, and they find the dead body of Jeffrey Trail rolled up in a carpet. Um, he was struck multiple times in the head with a claw hammer, which was <gasps> lying nearby. Four days later, two fishermen find David Matson's body um, in Rush Lake. Holy shit. He'd been shot in the head and in the back with a 40 caliber pistol. So when the news reached San Diego, because they all knew that he did it. Right. Um, the news reaches San Diego, where he's known as Andrew De Silva, Silva, and his picture comes up on the news as Andrew Cunanan, and all his friends are like, wait, what? Like, that's his real name? Um, and now they see their good friend that they used to party with is wanted for a double murder, and they're like, ooh, get that. You know, like, you're in that position, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that, that weird thing he did at a party. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden you're, like, remembering every conversation where his one eye did, like, a weird... <laughs> You know the thing we were talking to somebody and they seem interested and all of a sudden they glaze and then go somewhere else and you're like, okay, <laughs> all righty. So then basically Andrew Cannon is now on the run. So he steals David Matson's Jeep and he drives to Chicago and he gets to the Gold Coast townhouse of 75-year-old real estate tycoon Lee Miglin. Miglin was esteemed in the political and social circles of Chicago um, On May 4th, they find Miglin's body in his garage. He's been stabbed repeatedly in the chest with garden shears. His throat was cut with a saw blade. (gasps) His head was wrapped in masking tape. Oh, my God. Um, And $2,000 was missing uh, from his apartment, along with several expensive suits, gold coins, and his Lexus. Um, Police find that Miglin was a happily married man of 38 years and that he and Andrew Cunanan were strangers, which is a fact that Miglin's family vehemently confirms. So that night, they find the Jeep around the corner from the townhouse, um, and it's the one that David Matson owns. So now they know Andrew Cunanan's on the run in a Lexus. So um, he's now the prime suspect in three murders. So he, he drives to New York. And when he gets to New York, he goes shopping on 57th Street. You know, when you just killed a bunch of people how you do where you go to the fancy part of town and get some jeans or whatever. Z Cavalricci probably. That's right. (laughs) He also went clubbing, which is what he did. Um, on May 8th, uh, he gets back into the Lexus and he's on the run again. Um, and just outside Philadelphia, he decides to use the car's cell phone. Now this is, you know, this is long ago when cell phones weren't that big of a deal. And so immediately the police had already been monitoring it. So immediately the police are like, he's right outside Philadelphia. Um, uh, so then he hears it on the radio. He's listening to the radio, and then he hears the report that he's right outside of Philadelphia. Uh. So he drives to Jersey, and he um, pulls up to a cemetery. He finds the caretaker, shoots and kills him uh. on sight, and steals his 1995 red Chevy pickup truck. Now he is... Um, 
the so this four murders he is now on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list and he goes on to America's most wanted that week oh my god and I think that's when everybody um probably all of America really came to, like this whole story really came to light and everyone right. kind of knew because there was a point in time where like this was all that was happening yeah um it was really weird and just the idea that there was a, a serial killer on the run that was trackable is so crazy yeah. or spree killer um okay so May 12th he arrives in South Beach in Miami he checks into the Normandy Plaza Hotel, um, and the owner says that they would see him, sometimes he had black hair, and sometimes he had white hair, and sometimes he had curly hair, and sometimes he had straight hair. And then she goes, I think he was wearing wigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they said, other than that, he was really quiet, and he never brought anybody in, he was really nice, and that you'd never even pay attention to him. But he ends up being able to stay there from May until the beginning of July. Wow. Yeah, so he's just super low-key, but they say that, um, in retrospect, they found out he would go to a diner where cops hung out. Like, he is a classic psychopath in that way. He thought he was smarter than everybody, and he was liking... He was liking the fame because this was what he always wanted. He wanted to be yeah. well-known and respected and regarded and famous. Yeah. And it was happening in the worst way possible. Remembered. So, yeah, exactly. Most likely to be remembered. Right. Yeah. Ugh. 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 After me, the storm. So on July 7th, he's running out of money. So he takes some of the gold coins that he stole from Lee Maglin's townhouse and he sells them at a pawn shop where he signs his real name and gives a thumbprint the pawn shop, this is required for pawn shops, apparently. They take that documentation, they turn it into the police. Shut up. The police never see it. Because <gasps> of the paperwork and problems. Sure. So that just sits there. Like, the answer to all their questions is kind of like on the pop, top of a pile of papers. It yeah, doesn't matter. I mean, um, that's not probably their biggest issue at the moment. Right. Coins. <laughs> You know what I mean. There, there's a guy that, that has an office that just says gold coins on the door. And he's like, guys, I swear to God, I've got a theory. And you're like, that fucking idiot. Don't worry about Dave. He's always got a theory about coins. Uh, so July 11th, he's spotted at a sam- by a sandwich shop. Oh, Sorry. No. <laughs> she just stuck her fingers in my tissue. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's like we do this sometimes. Like I'm trying to make a point to you. You're not like, like, And I, I saw you do that. And I was like, just, oh. That's like the Paul Mall of hand dip that I just <laughs> write into your fucking Kleenex. It's like I try to hide this as well as I can. The fact that my nose is running constantly. You need to get an old sweater like my grandma so you can shove them up the sleeves. That's what she always did. I remember at the airport when I, I had a scarf on and I was just talking to you. We were talking and eye contact blew my nose in the scarf (laughs) she blew her nose into her own scarf while staring at me like what the fuck are you gonna do about it and I was like you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna celebrate you because that's what we do this is my burden (laughs) allergies are her burden allergies (laughs) just (laughs) okay July 11th, he's spotted in a sandwich shop, and the cashier, who is also in this special, whatever uh, special it was, he's like, I watched, he he goes, I watch America's Most Wanted, and I really pay attention. So when he walked up, it clicked. And I was like, fuck yes, murderino. Yeah. 
Those of us, we don't just put it on in the background while we're doing the dishes. We study those faces. And when we go out into the world, we look for those people. Oh, hell yeah. We look at license plates constantly. Yes, we're checking. Amber Alert, tell me about it. (laughs) I want to help. Okay. (laughs) He called police. Andrew's gone before they arrive. He's spotted 10 more times in the neighborhood. Same exact thing happens. On the morning of July 15th, Designer Gianni Versace, who lived in the area in a gorgeous mansion because he was the biggest deal. I mean, he was the, he was the hilt of everything. And oh, now I'm going to go back a couple pages. I told you to remember this is, so I always was fascinated with that connection. Why would he just go? How did he get there? How did he know he lived there? Whatever. Andrew, uh, this is, uh, from that Vanity Fair article. They say witnesses, um, saw Andrew and Gianni Versace speak in a San Francisco nightclub, the (gasps) nightclub Colossus in 1990. I always wonder. Versace was in town because he designed costumes for the San Francisco opera. And that night, an eyewitness recalls Cunanan was smugly pleased that Versace seemed to recognize him. I know you, Versace said, wagging a finger in the then 21-year-old's direction. Uh, Lago de Como, no. And Cunanan replied, thank you for remembering, Senor Versace. (laughs) The most pompous conversation that's ever happened. In America, that morning, every morning, uh, Gianni Versace would get up and he would walk down to the newsstand. He would buy the newspapers and magazines and he'd buy coffee and he would walk back home. So as he's um, coming home, he had the key in the gate walking into his house Mm. and Andrew Cunanan walked up behind him and shot him twice in the head. Um, He died instantly on his front steps. And this is the murder that, I mean, this was on the news. They kept showing the steps with the blood on them. And it's this gorgeous house that looks like it should be in Italy. It's like, it's so crazy. And and then he walked away. So um, Versace's um, longtime companion, Anthony Diamico, was inside the house, heard the gunshots, came out, saw him walking away. Oh, my God. And, and started to chase him, as did neighbors and what? people that were standing around because it wasn't like an empty street. Yeah. It was just this cold-blooded killing Dude. in public. A bunch of people started chasing him, and then he turned around and acted like he was going to shoot them. They stopped, and then he ran. <gasps> um, so that end... I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> um, then... Police find William Reese, um, the cemetery caretaker that got murdered. They find his stolen truck with evidence linking Cunanan to his entire murder spree in a, in a parking garage. Um, there were bloody clothes. There was, there was evidence from every, uh, every part of the murder spree. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Miami police hold a press conference announcing that Andrew Cunanan was wanted for the murder of Johnny Versace. They ask the public for help, and they're inundated with thousands of calls, of course, because everyone has a sighting. And there were um, a thousand from across the country, 400 from within South Beach alone. And um, many of them were from an area off of Collins Avenue, which is down by where all the yachts are, the yachts and the houseboats, because you always got to come back to yachting. Um, So... They go, they trace him back to that hotel room at the Normandy Hotel. They find fashion magazines. They find hair clippers. Um, but they don't know where he's going to turn up next. So there's these amazing kind of famous announcements that the cops would make where they're like, people, you have to help us. Like cops were on the news going, we need the public's help. Yeah. Like we have to find this guy because he is truly just 
on a legit murder spree. Um, On July 23rd, caretaker Fernando Carrera stopped by a large blue houseboat whose owner was away on business. And we got to the front door. He noticed one of the locks was missing. And then inside, he heard a gunshot. So he calls police. And there's a tense four-hour standoff. Police cut off electricity. Eventually, they shoot tear gas into the houseboat. Do they know it's him or they're just like, they don't there's know. a gun? They're just like, it's highly likely. Right, right, right. Um, so uh, upstairs, it's a two-story houseboat. Yes. <laughs> um, that part blew my mind. I was like, did I misread upstairs in the houseboat? <laughs> Isn't it just a... Um, Anyway, upstairs, they find the body of Andrew Kanan lying dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Um, that This houseboat was three miles away from Versace's mansion. Wow. Um, so he, did, he barely ran at all. And while and this, this subsequent piece of information, the FBI revealed that within 48 hours of the murder, uh, Versace's murder, Andrew Kanan had contacted an associate on the West Coast trying to get help t- for a passport to leave the country. Wow. But it just sounds like he didn't he got discovered before he made it. And wow. that's that. That's Andrew Kanan's murder spree. Wow. It's a lot. It was a lot. Great job, Karen. Oh, thank you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Wow. That's such a sad story. I mean, horrible. Horrible. Just, yeah. Yeah. W- really one of the worst and one of the worst and then pointless. So pointless I mean, and just Just, just terrible. And- yeah. But now here's what's interesting because this is a true quilt episode. Yes. Guess what we're doing? We're going back to Georgia's show. Right. So now we're leaving October 18th, 2017. Right. And we're going, and we're going back to the King's Theater. In a year, like almost yep. a year, to the King, back to the King's Theater where we just were to yep. listen to the hometown that was told that night. All right. Well, it's time for a hometown murder. Yeah. Oh, look, it's Vince with the microphone. On either side. Okay. Cool. Do you have any words of wisdom for us, Vince? Try to get you guys hot pretzels, but they ran the fuck out. <laughs> See you, sons of bitches. Thanks for trying. Thank you for trying. Uh, <laughs> do you want to give them the rules, the rundown? I feel like you know the rules. Yeah. Brooklyn knows. If you've had more than four cans of wine, sit down. <laughs> sit down and think about what you're doing. Um, you, it needs to be local. You need to be able to tell it concisely. There needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, Don't leave us hanging. It's great to know what happened if you're going to tell us if somebody did something bad to somebody else. It's good to know uh, what that person did at the end. And then I guess just in general, remember that everyone in the audience hates you for getting picked, so just do it quickly. And bring me a can of wine. Do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? You can do it. Okay. You're being so polite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate doing this. Oh, come up this way. It's so hard to see these faces. Yes. What's your name? This is Daniela, everybody. Say hi. Hi. Over there. Hi. Hey, hi. I know. Isn't it terrifying? Oh here, come over here. Where are you from? So I'm actually from Orlando. Okay. Um, Three years. My hometown is local, I promise. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, so just go. Sure. <laughs> if you want us, yeah, go ahead. So, um, this is the murder of Danielle Thomas. She lived in Astoria, uh, New Queens. 
So in 2010, I moved to New York. Danielle was a really great friend of my mom. Uh, I met her a few times. Right after I moved to New York, she moved, she moved to New York, and uh, she moved here to be with her fiance. Uh, so in 2012, sadly, she just there was a lot of problems with the relationship. She went to the police, got a restraining order, crazy stuff. One day, I'm literally on break from my lunch at work, and uh, my mom calls. She's like, Daniela, I, I don't know what to do. Danielle's dead. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. um, so come to find out, Jason had actually strangled her to death. I, horrible. Left her in the bathtub on ice, mm. called the police. And he called the police himself. He called the police himself. <laughs> uh, you know, let them know to come and get her. He ran. Uh, luck, like two weeks later, he turned himself in, and uh, he's in jail for life. Good. Oh my God. Thank God. Um, again, Danielle was in a really special person to my mom. My mom passed away three years ago, Sorry. and it's okay. And uh, it's just a really. Emotional story. Yeah. yeah. My sister's here, Danielle, Julia. <laughs> so she wanted me to say her name. Um, but we both just really have a strong connection to that murder. And I really thank my mom for the my true crime obsession. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's the hometown murder. Oh, sorry for your loss. That was good. That was good. Yeah, but again, Danielle, um, she has a memorial scholarship fund that her mom and her grandmother do every year. She's from Kentucky. And look it up. Danielle Thomas <laughs> Memorial Fund Scholarship for Kentucky. Oh, Kentucky School. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Awesome. Great job. <laughs> no, I know. That's what it's like. Great job. Okay. So hey. She wasn't from New York, but who is? <laughs> But it turned out okay. Hey, she got here. she got by. Hi. Elvis. Elvis came just for the end of the show. Perfect. Perfect well, then let's morning. wrap it up. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Yes. And thanks so much for listening. We hope you guys are mentally <laughs> doing okay. Hope you're still baking and mm -hmm. baking and welding and doing all the things that you've chosen to begin doing in right. COVID-19 quarantine. your own hair. I mean, unless you want a shorty. That's right. And also stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, you want a cookie? Ah, good boy. <laughs> He's right there. Mm, good 